Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share, and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode of this crazy thing we call our podcast. I was a little sick for this one, and you can hear it in my voice, but the show must go on. This is episode 132, and today we'll be chatting with Michael Saka, the president at Crew and the co-host of Rocketship.fm. Michael started his career with a move to LA in order to pursue a career in the music industry. However, he quickly had to turn to other options. After teaching himself a bit of code and making a few websites, he ended up launching his own agency called Tiny Factory. While running that company, the team began to build some of their first products. Michael then joined a startup called Crew to help establish partnerships. He has recently taken on the role of president to help lead the company to new heights in 2017. Michael joins us to share his story, how he got into startups, what it was like teaching himself how to code and building his own agency, how he approached building some of his first products, how he approaches building partnerships, what he's doing now as the president of Crew, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hack to start drop us an email at hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Michael, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. It's uh, pretty unreal, actually. You know, I started listening to the Rocketship.fm uh, a, a while ago before we got started with podcasting, and it's been a source of inspiration. So it's it's pretty cool to have you on this show. Uh, so thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for listening. That's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, before we dive into all that stuff, which I'm sure we're going to cover, can you tell us and, and the audience a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I was born and raised in upstate New York in Albany, and then I I went to college in Oneonta. I studied music business, which is probably the most useless degree you could get. And after that, I moved out to L.A. to um, to get a job in the music industry because I had a music industry degree and I never got one because no one in the music industry has a music business degree, which was the one thing they didn't tell us in college. So. So from there, I, you know, I moved my way into tech and we can we can go through that story. But um, yeah, that's that's really where I started at the beginning. Unreal. And what drew you to kind of music and business to begin with? Was that, you know, passion for entrepreneurship or or business always there? Or was it just something that kind of came about as you were trying to break into music? Yeah, so I always loved music. I always wanted to be a musician. We built our own home recording studios. Um, even in college, we we tore up a whole room in my apartment and and built a wall, like a a soundproof wall, and and bought all of the recording equipment. So we were really into being musicians, and then also kind of the recording side. The business came in because we realized that you could be a starving musician or you could try to figure out how to make some money doing it. And so that's really where the inspiration for that was. The business part ended up being useful, right? I mean, I, I think a lot of the concepts are pretty universal. Uh, the useless part was that this was 2000 and Napster came out and the whole music industry crumbled. So it was just, it was terrible timing in that sense. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned you, you ended up moving out to, to L.A., California to try and get into the music scene. So what was that like kind of landing there after school with this degree that you thought was, you know, <laughs> going to get you to the top? What, what was what was that part of your journey like? It was humbling. 
it was humbling. I mean, I, I after two and a half, no, three years there, I got an offer for a $10 an hour job at CAA. And I, I turned it down because I had already decided I was going to leave L.A. at that point. But it took me that long to kind of, I guess, navigate through with no connections. And every job that I applied for, I just it just didn't work. And I couldn't even get an internship. And and so I waited tables while I was there because I needed to pay the bills. And I had a roommate who taught himself how to code PHP. And at the time, he would wake up around noon. He'd come home around four o'clock from work. And they couldn't fire him. And he was making probably three times more than me. And I really, I kind of envied the the lifestyle. Plus, he he had the ambition to to teach himself how to code and then and then made something of it. Uh, and so eventually, right before I left LA, I quit the restaurant industry and I started teaching myself how to code with him, you know, with his help and started taking on clients. And within that first month, I was able to pay my rent on the clients that I had from those contract jobs. And so I moved into kind of a design and development, a design and front end developer was, was really where I started freelancing. And I mean, the, the tech industry is pretty incredible. You really don't need a fancy degree in order to have people hire you. And that part was really eye-opening. And, and then trying to build a business out of it took about five years until I, I got to where I was happy uh, with things. That's really cool. And so, at, you know, at some point after that, you ended up co-founding sort of your first startup called With Circle in, in 2014. So can you tell us, I guess, about the progression of like learning how to code get, and then getting to the point of launching a first startup and, and what was really behind launching that? Yeah, so... At the the agency, so I built an agency, Tiny Factory, and this this was before with Circle. Um, at Tiny Factory, we went from basically me in my bedroom building little WordPress sites to being contracted by Scholastic and Nike, GE. We we worked with um, to build applications. So I eventually got to the point where I could build front end applications pretty well, and I had a small team. I was writing, you know, we we were writing the contracts and negotiating. So all of those skills kind of came with being a freelancer. And they're all the same skills that you use, whether you're doing a startup or any business, really. Um, so when I, I eventually got burnt out on the agency model because always having to find that next client, it can be pretty draining when what you really want to do is create something. And so we had started a couple couple companies inside of Tiny Factory, one being Brandesty. Um, we also built some language learning applications for kids. And so I wanted to, to go out and try to, to build something and solve some problems on my own. And that's where With Circle came from. And I, I founded it with a, a good friend who had just left Google. So he was, uh, he was an amazing engineer. And we wanted to help organize companies' internal data and make it useful. There's a lot of companies that are doing this now that are starting to organize uh, productivity data and GitHub data and, and then present it to management in a way that's useful. Um, that was essentially what we had set out to do. We, we didn't last long enough to, to really see it through to fruition. And I, I joined Crew kind of as on the tail end of that. Wicked. Maybe hopping back just a bit to Tiny Factory and and some of the products that you ended up building there. What was uh, what was that process like for for you in terms of learning how to build product and validate you know what what customers wanted or what they were willing to pay for or finding product market fit? Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, we always tried to stay kind of the cutting edge of what was happening. So our first big break was with Sencha web app development. 
And so this was one of the the early times where you could create a hybrid application and deploy it with PhoneGap. And companies were just getting interested and were willing to pay a lot of money to to do it. And there wasn't a lot of competition. There wasn't a lot of people that were contracting that at the time. As that space got crowded, we moved into Node um, and started building real-time applications with the with the rise of Node. Now, it's incredibly risky because oftentimes you don't have the documentation and you have to write a lot of your own libraries to do very basic things, where if you were using a more established language like PHP, a lot of those are, are it's been done. You know, there, there's a set way to do it and you can go a lot faster, but we were able to sell kind of the the bleeding edge technology side of things. And, and, and then we're able to command a high dollar amount, which for consulting, that was really our goal. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool to, uh, to hear about, you know, people jumping in and taking a risk with the new technologies, but also being able to do, you know, things that, as you mentioned, you know, with PHP and, and a set path of doing things, you're sort of experimenting and pushing the technology to, to, to new places. Yeah. So one of the projects that you ended up working on there at a tiny factory is, is called uh, Brandisty. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and what motivated you to, to build that product uh, specifically? Yeah, so we would get all of these client requests. And the first thing that we'd have to do every single time we were working with a new client is get the brand asset. And we would never get them um, until basically we were ready to launch. And then we'd get this tiny little logo that was a a JPEG with a white background. We'd end up having to cut it out and it would just look like crap. We'd put it in the application. It was never the right size. And so we decided if all of these companies and we were working even with large brands, it was often hard to get these assets. What if we made it easy? And that was the idea behind Brandisty was can we easily distribute logos and and make it easy for companies to access? Because the people that have the design assets in a company like that are so far removed from the people managing external work. So for them to, to go to the design team and request these assets, it's it's not always the easiest request, which you think it would be, but it would take weeks at sometimes. So we thought, what if we made it easy where you could just drop a link and we'll give you we'll give you the design assets. We'll make sure they're the vector ones and any company can go in and set it up and then distribute it. So if I if you need my my brand, here's the set link and you can grab any version, any size that you want, because it's all vector. We can resize it on the fly. So that was the idea behind Brandisty, and, and we founded it out of some of the problems that we saw with consulting at, at Tiny Factory. Yeah, for sure. I think we've, we've all been there, sort of the email trains back and forth for <laughs> weeks, as you mentioned. <laughs> it was actually me on, on uh, Tuesday. Oh, <laughs> I was go. trying to gather a whole bunch of logos, and I completely know where you're coming from. Like, <laughs> backgrounds, super small logos, so I feel the pain. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And it, so that was that was the problem that we wanted to to solve. And and so and that lived for three years. You know, we we, we hustled really hard on the first year, got it to a, a fairly good point. And then it kind of sat as uh, we all were working on other projects. And then most recently, about two months ago, it was acquired by Brand.ai, who is going to to take it, integrate it into their platform and can kind of continue on with the mission. That's cool. Obviously, there's there's a big need. So what was that process like, you know, of, of having it acquired by Brand.ai when, you know, it wasn't necessarily a standalone project? How did that process come about, I guess? Yeah, so I I was basically maintaining it alone at that point. And Ehud had, who's the CEO at Brand.ai, he had reached out just to kind of see 
what was going on in the space. He wanted to just talk to some other people and other founders that were that were working in this logo design uh, development space. And we just got talking and he had, I don't know, just an inspiring vision. They had a slightly different take on it, but it was a much newer take because it had been three years. And I was just, I was really excited. And I said, let's just, you know, why don't you just acquire us? Uh, I'll come on board as an advisor and, and we can kind of continue this rather than letting this asset sit. That's amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing what Brand AI does with it in the, in the years to come. Yeah. So today you're, you're part of Crew. So can you tell us a bit more about this company and how you created the opportunity to join their team? Yeah, so um, Mikel, I've always been inspired by Mikel, who's the, the CEO. Um, and so he founded Crew and then they built Unsplash shortly after they founded it. And we, I mean, he was like the eighth person we had on Rocketship, actually. He's one of the very early interviews we did. Um, he's just an amazing writer and he's built kind of an incredible company. So I, I always stayed in touch with him as, as uh, he was building Crew. After I had left Tiny Factory and I was, you know, after kind of with Circle was was wrapping up, um, he had reached out and just said, hey, do you want to do partnerships at, at Crew? We have a need for it. It just seemed like the right opportunity to join. I was I was the 14th employee at that point. For those that know Crew or have seen the brand, I was I was incredibly excited to join a team like that and work with people that, you know, had had been able to build what crew was even at the time that was that was inspiring you know i'm a huge fan uh, fan of crew so crew is actually only three years old but is one of the leading companies of the freelancing economy so how do you think about the future of the way we work and what role is crew looking for to play in this space yeah so we were i mean obviously i come from a freelance background mikhail came from a freelance background we understand a lot of the stress that can be associated with freelancing so we have this new economy. People are starting to travel. They're starting to work on the road. But one of the problems that you have when you're freelancing is you always have to be sourcing your next deal while you're doing your current one. And that's the one of the main problems that Crew wanted to solve was can we enable people to work in this new manner, but make it easier for them to find their next project and make it easier for them to find a project that pays them well. Uh, because those are the two biggest issues is sourcing new work, uh, constantly filling out RFPs and meeting with potential clients who may pay you, and then getting the rate that you deserve. And could we make it so that people, creatives, can simply go to work, even though they are independent contractors and they are making their own hours? Can we make it easier for them to do that and take away some of the stress that I know I felt when I was um, when I was a freelancer. And on the other side, as a project owner, can we give them a bit more security? So, you know, what we do is people come to us with projects, we help work with them, build that brief, and then find them the right person to work with for a designer development project. So can we give them a little bit more security when they're hiring someone that they're not just going to send a check and that person is going to disappear because it does happen all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. So if I was a freelancer and I was looking to use Crew, like what 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 do I need to kind of do I just sign up and what's what's that process like? Yeah, go to crew.co and there's a an onboarding flow for new freelancers. And so you can sign up and we'll get back to you. We vet every profile. We're we're trying to get it within 2 weeks. We have I mean we've had 100,000 people apply 
in the in the three years. And so we're, we're trying to get better at our response rate for those. Um, so we'll let you know kind of what the status is right now. Everyone is um, is kind of in a pending. And as we as we grow the network, we start adding people on. So the sooner you get on, the better. It's awesome. So another major pain point in freelancing is just finding a place to work. You know, yeah. you're in your, you're in your bedroom or you're in an office at home or, and often you need to just get out. So Crew has actually launched a really interesting initiative, which is the Crew Collective and Cafe to help provide space for freelancers in Montreal. So can you share with us a little bit more about this initiative and what you guys are doing there? So especially when Mikel uh, and Steph, who's the CEO, uh, when, when they were traveling, uh, raising, you know, oftentimes you get stuck in a cafe uh, with terrible Wi-Fi or and it was it was often hard to find a good place in a new city that you weren't familiar with. And that was really the the initial inspiration behind. Can we make a beautiful place for people to work um, that provides you with everything that you need throughout the day? So cafe with good, healthy food, good coffee quality Wi-Fi and, a, and an amazing environment, which if you look up pictures, it's in this old 1900s, early 1900s bank building with 50 foot ceilings. And it, it's just, uh, it's an immaculate design. And then we've turned that into a co-working space. So when you go to work, you, you feel inspired when you're there, um, which doesn't happen everywhere. Um, but I love working in cafes. Uh, sometimes I'm the most productive when it's really noisy. So that that's kind of the we have the hustle and bustle of the cafe. There's the the quiet co-working spot, and then we have our headquarters all in the same spot. That's amazing. I, I have yet to come visit, but I have seen so many pictures online. And it looks like a beautiful place. <laughs> yeah, whenever you're in town, come by. I will. So you initially joined the company crew to help lead partnerships. But you've recently taken on an even bigger role with the announcement of Unsplash becoming its own company today. So first, can you share more about how you approached partnerships? And are there any tactics or strategies that you found to be just more effective? The biggest thing about partnerships is empathy and understanding what the other side needs. I think a lot of times when we initially approach a partnership, we're thinking about what's the value for me, right? So I want to partner with Slack because, you know, I have a calendar app and if they use that, I'd have access to millions and millions of teams, which is great. But why does Slack want to use you? Right. And that's the finding the angle in to why a larger company and what value you can provide to them, what need you can fulfill is the hardest part of, of a partnership because it's a lot of work on both sides. When, once you once you actually move forward with some kind of partnership initiative, it takes a lot of work to make it successful. And bigger companies usually understand that, you know, once once someone has arranged a couple of these, people get a little bit more weary to them, unless it's, it's something a little bit more automated, like an API integration. Um, but when you're asking people on both sides to put up resources for a mutual benefit, you really have to make sure that it's mutually beneficial. And when you're having that conversation, it can't be about you. It has to be about them. And when both sides come to the table trying to figure out the benefit for each other, it's a much better conversation. You know, for sure. So, so what has it been like taking on more challenges within Crew? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, as the announcement today, I've I've stepped up into a, the role as president. And that's been really exciting, actually. Partnerships was great. We still we, we set up a, a lot of really big 
partnerships for crew and we're still continuing with those and now we get to take some of the lessons that we learned from doing partnerships and what it turned into really with sales and we get to take that to the rest of the team now um, which is is really exciting so we did a lot of research into who our customer is and and where we can find them online and now we get to to take that same information to our marketing team and and our our customer service teams and even the product team and and integrate it in. I know it's it's been um, only recently, but what is the day to day role like for President and Crew? Yeah, so Mikel has, and he was the founding CEO, so he has moved completely over to Unsplash full time because Unsplash is growing like crazy, and so it needed it needed full time attention. And so basically the president's role is filling in for Mikel's leadership role. And so it's it's a lot of team management, team leadership, uh, establishing kind of our vision for 2017, which is what we're putting together right now. And then leading, still leading some of the larger sales projects as uh, often a CEO will. That's awesome. Well, congrats. Thanks, man. Thanks. So what can we expect from Crew in 2017? Last year was a huge learning experience for us. We really went out and discovered who we are and then who our customer is. And we're going to be building that into the product. So there's going to be some, we have some really exciting things in our product roadmap where we're hoping to streamline and, and, and make things a bit easier for people starting projects. There's still a ton of confusion around how much an app costs and what it really takes to build a business. And so we're hoping to make that easier. Um, and we're really approaching our product as a driving force to do that for people. So there's going to be a lot of product updates. We're refocusing more on, you know, our blog has, has generally been very inspirational content. And I think we're we're starting to hone it in uh, on more content for people who are building businesses, um, not just inspired to, but who are actually doing it. And so I think you're going to see some kind of a refocus in the in the content area as well. That's awesome. Looking forward to it. I love the the blog so far. So it'll be good Thanks. to see what you guys do with it uh, in the coming months. It's always cool to see, you know, uh, Canadian startups doing well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned it uh, a little bit kind of scattered throughout the episode, but you're a fellow podcaster with an amazing uh, show that you co-host called Rocketship.fm. So, you know, what was it like launching a podcast three years ago before anybody was doing it? And what <laughs> has that process been like for you and, and you know, the rest of the team? Yeah, so I didn't even expect to do a podcast for that long. Matt Goldman, who is um, one of the founders, uh, one of the, the original hosts, he decided he thought we should do a podcast because we were going to write a book on how to build a rocket ship. And we thought that would be a great idea. Let's do it. Um, we'll get some interviews. We'll release episodes for like three months and then we'll release this book and that, that'll be the whole project. But the podcast actually took off uh, and we never really wrote the book that we had set out to. We eventually did release a book based on the quotes from the from the show, but we never got around to writing the book. But the podcast, uh, it was just an amazing avenue for only for our personal growth, where we were getting to talk to people that we never thought would say yes. And we were we were able to learn from them. And then the listenership grew. And I, I think it was because there wasn't a lot out there at the time too. It was a little bit easier than it is is today maybe. But yeah, so I, I never really expected to get into to podcasting in that way, but I kind of fell in love with it. And I stopped designing uh, as, as I moved into more of a business role. And the podcast really s helps to satisfy that creative itch. 
uh, where, you know, I, I still get to do the audio editing and the and pulling the storytelling together. And I really enjoy that. And I think that's why we've been able to go for the last three years, because um, it's still something that I really, really enjoy. I didn't even expect to. Yeah, absolutely. Time flies with your podcasting. <laughs> that's what they say, right? <laughs> for sure. So I, I hate it when other people ask me this uh, this question, but I'm on yeah. this side of the mic, so I, I get sure. to ask it this time. But what have been some of your favorite episodes or some of the favorite guests you've had on? The first episode that I loved was with Adi Paner, and he had just left WooCommerce not too long ago, and he was trying to figure out the next thing he was going to do. And it was the first time we kind of hit like a raw emotion with him. And it was it was really just you, you, I felt like we had captured something special. Uh, and something that people would want to hear. And it was our, it was in like the first 20 episodes that we interviewed him. And that was the first time I felt like we had really captured and I felt like I got what it's like to interview and actually get like to the point where we were, we're hearing a little bit closer to the truth, right? So that was always one of my favorites because I felt like that was the first time I got it. Jason Freed, we interviewed him recently. He was amazing. This is a weird one, but uh, recently, we haven't released the episode yet, but we will soon. But I interviewed Ron Wiener from originally of Earth Class Mail. And I don't know if anyone ever watched that show about 10 years ago, Startup Junkies, uh, but he was the CEO and it was like the first reality show based on a startup. And so he's always kind of been a, an, a hero of mine. And so I, I got to sit down with him for like an hour. Um, we'll be releasing that episode soon, but uh, he's a blast. Awesome. I'll have to stay tuned. And, and I, I haven't checked out that show but i'll have to go dig it up somewhere now <laughs> it's worth the watch <laughs> it's quite amazing so i'm actually putting together a full episode side note on earth class mail um because it's gone from 10 years ago as this reality show through bankruptcy through new ownership and now a new ceo um and i've interviewed ron um jason siegel who purchased it and and doug who's now the current ceo um and we're we're trying to catalog that full journey i don't know because it just fascinates me no way. That's really cool. Yeah. So putting aside, you know, podcasting and business, if you could send, you know, your younger self a message back in time, you know, what what advice would you share, I guess? Take more risks, I think. Things never turn out as good as you expect, and they never turn out as bad as you expect. And every time I've kind of jumped off the ledge, amazing things happen, but I still have to tell myself that today because I still get, get stuck, I don't know, getting comfortable. And it whenever I get uncomfortable is when things happen that I never expected. And whenever I get comfortable, I get a little depressed. And so I, I that's something I have to constantly remind myself that it's okay to jump into the unknown, especially for early entrepreneurs. I, I think there's two kinds of people, often people that just go and, and just figure it out. And then there's some that that watch for a long time and there's nothing wrong with either one. But I think for if, if people are waiting to get started, I think good things will happen or things will happen. I don't know if they'll be good, but things will happen um, once once you start moving in that direction. You know, for sure. So the, the switch topics again, what are some of the most recent apps that you've downloaded or just really love? Let's see. So I am totally lame when it comes to that but because i think the most recent app i downloaded is audible but i actually downloaded i don't know if if anyone's into kind of intermittent fasting but it's something that we've done for for years 
we do kind of a longer fast every year and we would do some intermittent fasting throughout the year. And so Kevin Rose's new app zero um, was actually really interesting to see someone put kind of some technology and, and some tracking behind it. And I have actually started using that basically just helps you stop eating at a certain time of day and track how long you're fasting for so that you can do it responsibly and then also kind of track your progress. That's really cool. So do you have any recommendation on, on some, some great content that you've come across lately, either a book, video, or a blog post? I'm terrible at that, honestly. Again, uh, I don't read a lot of business-related stuff, but I have been reading some Teju Cole, um, who's a who's a kind of a fiction author. He's an amazing storyteller, and so I, I've been trying to learn from people who tell good stories. I think that's just an interest of mine outside of business. And there's uh, an artist, Simon Stallenhag, and he just released a book, uh, The Tales from the Loop and Things from the Flood, which is, it's he's taken this idea of a futuristic society that exists in the 1980s. And he just has these amazing drawings about like VR and um, and even kind of like more demonic uh, robots, but not everything turns out well, but it's all based in the 1980s. And it's such a, an interesting take on sci-fi um, that you you don't even need a story. You can just flip through the pages and, and you can see this story kind of unfold in your head. Oh, it sounds pretty cool. I'll have to yeah. check that out. It's definitely not something you hear about uh, pretty often. <laughs> probably, probably not. Uh, yeah, but I try to get inspired by things outside of the, the tech realm because uh, it's good to be well-rounded, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that you live by and you think other people should know about? I don't keep a to-do list. And I don't know if if everyone should. So... I, I try to approach work and, and life not as a robot, but as a human. And I think it could be incredibly fulfilling to not feel like we're always just knocking off tasks, but to leave time to do creative work um, where you don't know when it's going to end. You don't know the exact um, answer. And that's the work that I really enjoy, be it you know a contract negotiation or a design or, or a podcast building a storyline together. If when people allow themselves to do that, we move away from extreme productivity and, and check marks uh, and into something where we can we can really create something that's inherently human. And I think we lose that a lot in the tech industry. But when we have it, it's it's a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. Very I very agreed. I often find myself, you know, trying to I guess feeling feeling different results at the end of a day sometimes. Some days you feel like you've done nothing at all, but you you know, you've totally. been busy and other days, you know, you're just knocking things off. So it's it's definitely something that gets lost very quickly, yeah. I guess, in the tech industry where you feel like you're falling behind. And we, we should feel good, even on those days where we only knocked off two or three items. I don't know why I, I should feel depressed at the end of that, you know? So I, I think it's okay to to be a little lighter on yourself and, and allow time for for things to marinate. Absolutely. Michael, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today, man. It was uh, awesome to have you on the show. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. 
Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do the show without your awesome support. So if you enjoy the show, feel free to share it with a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show.